Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are rethinking church and reworking life around the person and presence of King Jesus. I've spent a lot of my Christian life thinking that the hardest thing in the Christian life was finding and discerning the will of God. Maybe that's like you. But I've come to this place where I no longer think the hardest thing is finding and discerning the will of God. I've come to think that the most difficult thing in my Christian journey is finding and disowning my own will and way so that I can embark upon the will and way of God. You follow me? Finding the will and the way of God is very, very easy. The problem is getting our own will and way out of the way so that we can get on that journey with him. So we're in the book of Acts. We're actually in Acts 2. Um, We are, one of the questions that that in my mind at least sort of um, expands across the whole book of Acts is how can we as believers have more of the Holy Spirit when theologically we already have everything in Christ? Okay, so that's what we're wrestling with. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're studying here. How can we have more of the Holy Spirit when we already have everything in Christ? So here's what I, I would love to try to do today, and um, it's a big task. I'm trying to get my arms sort of around something that's huge, but I want to invite you into um, looking at the act, uh, what happened at Pentecost, which is what we're about to read in Acts 2, um, through the lens of Genesis all the way to Revelation. Okay, so I want to invite you into that, and then I also want to invite us into the, the, the title or the question today is how to walk in the Spirit or how to be filled with the Holy Spirit like now, like today, in this moment, in your life, day to day, week to week. How do we be filled with the Spirit? How do we walk in the fullness of the Spirit? Um, so we're going to embark. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Lord, help us. Acts 2, uh, we're only going to read 1 through 4, amazingly, and then we're going to go back to Genesis, which is really easy. It's the first book in the Bible. You can all find it. If you don't have a Bible, we give away one-year Bibles, and we give away study Bibles out there. Please grab one, um, and grab one for your neighbor, too, if you'd like. Okay, um, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There's a disagreement, by the way, whether they were in the temple or in the upper room. We'll talk about that another Sunday, but there you go. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Say tongue of fire. That separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled, say filled, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so what I want to focus on is this idea of filled uh, in verse 4. So the idea of we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are actively being filled. And so this is the first time in all of the scriptures from Genesis up till this point where God actually comes inside humans. 
Okay? Up till this point, God rests on. He would, his spirit would come on and anoint people for a certain task or to rule or to shepherd or to prophesy or to, you know, that's what the Old Testament is really characterized by. But this is a differentiation. It's a line of demarcation because suddenly God goes from out here to where? In here. Okay. Now, if you're, if you're new here, if you've never given your life to Jesus, um, let me just make a basic comment. You appropriate the saving um, life and resurrection power of Jesus um, by asking him to come and dwell inside you and live inside you and change you and make you new. You appropriate the infilling power of the Holy Spirit by doing the same thing. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, would you come and would you fill me? Okay? It's just simple. So if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do so. We'd be happy to pray with you after the service. But the question that I'm then wrestling with is um, how is it that we can go through our lives, even as Christians, rather unfull of the Spirit? Is that true or is that true? How is it that I can rear up and get impatient at my kids? Is Michael full of the Spirit in that moment? Somebody say no. How is it that I could be unkind with my dear wife? How is it that I could lack gentleness in a conversation? How is it that we as people who have been saved by grace, we've appropriated the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of King Jesus into our hearts, but yet we have these moments where we are so absolutely void of being filled with the Spirit? And so what I want to, um, as we're getting ready to go back to Genesis, what I want to invite us sort of to think about or into is... Um, I believe part of being filled with the Spirit and then living in a place where you're filled with the Spirit is when you're, um, what is, what you're presenting outside of you is aligned with what is going on inside of you. You follow me? So let me, let me do a little hand motion. So this is outside of Michael. And in, as I'm being progressively filled with the Spirit, becoming more intimately acquainted with his person, the inside of Michael is becoming more and more congruent and aligned with the outside of Michael. Does that make sense? And, and to the degree that I am willing to participate with the Lord Jesus as he reconciles my own doubts or my hurts or my frustrations or things from my past or my guilt or my shame or my addictions or my whatevers, is the degree to which I am progressively becoming intimately more acquainted with him and able to walk full of the Spirit each and every day. Okay? So, so think of it like this. Um, integrity. Think of the word integrity. Integration. The integration of your outer person with your inner person. That's right. Okay. Think of it like congruence. So um, it's, it's like if, if we go to a um, school or a college and somebody's teaching like history or math or reading, nobody really cares if they're congruent. You, you know what I'm saying? But when somebody gets on a stage and says they're going to preach the gospel of Jesus, all of a sudden, it matters, doesn't it? Like Jesus, as he walked the earth, it matters that what Jesus said in public is also the way he lived in private and that his inner world and outer world were congruent or were integrated or were aligned. So let's let's like wrestle this even a little bit more. Revelation 21.4 uh, says there will no, be no more death. It's the very end, last chapter, 
22, I think is the last chapter of the Bible, but there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's talking about heaven. And I would actually propose to you that part of our pain as humans, um, part of our frustration is our own level of lack of congruence or lack of integration or lack of being filled with the Spirit. Make sense? Okay, so um, let's, let me like take you down this little pathway, then we're going to look at um, Genesis, and then we're going to try to take a look at the anatomy of like temptation, the anatomy of sin, the anatomy of being estranged from God relationally, um, the anatomy of repentance, what is repentance, um, and then the anatomy of life through Christ or being clothed with Christ, or if we use Acts 2-4, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so um, go with me here, and, and you're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to sift and speak to you in your own heart. Um, my heart gets out of tune with Jesus occasionally. Does your heart? Okay, so let's, let's go there. Now, out of tune. Like, we just have musicians up here playing. If there's a musician that's out of tune, it depends how bad it is, but, like, sometimes we all know it, right? Like, if they put me up here singing... You'd all know, Michael's out of tune. Please get off the stage. Daniel, shut his microphone off, right? Uh, so, so we get out of tune with Jesus. Um, and and if, we're, if we're like truly authentic and honest, we would probably, I would even say, we get out of tune with Jesus daily. Okay, that doesn't mean we're not saved. So I'm not wrestling out that are we saved. No, no, no. Is my eternal destination secure? Yes, if Jesus is in you and you're in him, your eternal destination is secure. But now I'm talking about experiencing the fullness of heaven in you now. The fullness of integration of what's being presented and what is in here. And then, and, and then being filled with the Spirit and in vibrant, ongoing, life-giving community with a body of believers who is attempting to do the same thing, which is to align that inner and outer world. Follow? Okay, so we should probably pause here and go, how do our hearts get out of tune with Jesus? How do we stop being full of the Spirit? Um going down the road, and all of a sudden, I'm going to see a friend, and maybe they live in a big, beautiful house, and all of a sudden, I've got this twinge of greed that rides up inside of me, and I go, ooh, I want a house like. Am I becoming in tune or out of tune? Okay. Um, envy. Um, ambition. Uh, I, just maybe a plain old love of the world. Um, gossip. What about a judgmental attitude? I'm getting angry at someone. I'm getting hurt with someone. I'm judgmental about them. I'm going to go and talk to somebody else about them. Am I, am I moving into tune with Jesus or out of tune? Out of tune. So we could probably go through a whole list here, and, and I want to make it like so crystal clear to you that I am not a believer in sin being external or behavioral only. I think sin is internal. It's an attitude of the heart where you willfully choose to be and to stay out of tune with Jesus in an area. Okay? Does that make sense? So um, I get, my heart gets out of tune with Jesus, and then life goes on, and where's my heart? It's out of tune. It's out of tune. Okay, so uh, I'm rolling along. I'm still a Christian, um, but who's the Lord of my life? Michael. We do this all the time, you and I. If you don't know you do it, just welcome to the journey. Come on. 
just get on here with us and we're going to go, Lord Jesus, help us. Okay, so life goes on. Um, I continue to say all the right Christian things. I continue to do all the right Christian things. I'm even uh, probably beginning to perform because something's happening inside of me that's not aligned with what's going on outside of me. And my words are becoming increasingly empty and hollow. You follow me? I am beginning then, if I continue on down this path of out of tuneness, I'm beginning to talk about Jesus, saying the right things, maybe even quoting scripture, without being filled with his presence. So remember those guys that we just did, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Remember the guys that Jesus reserved all of his harsh criticism for? What are their names? Come on. The Pharisees. Okay. The Pharisees, I would even say to you, started right, but hearts get out of tune. They stay willfully out of tune. They're doing the right things. They're saying the right things. They're looking the right way. They're acting the right way. They're saying that they're right. And yet the presence, power, and relationship with Yahweh God at that point, not King Jesus, but it is becoming increasingly um, calloused in their own heart. There's a growing disconnect then between what they present on the outside and who they really are on the inside. And now here's another even scary thought. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know about ourselves. Occasionally, Abby will say something to me about me, and I will go, what? How could you? What? And I get this, like, response. And after I begin to listen to her, my precious wife always has this gift. And if I will sit there and listen to her, she'll have some, like, bit of truth in what she's saying that I can glean from and grow from. It's amazing. But sometimes we as people don't even know what we don't know. We don't know that we're perhaps out of tune. And we need the body of Christ around us to go, hey, have you considered? Have you thought? Okay, so there's a growing disconnect between who I say I am, who I present that I am, um, and who I am internally. Now, let's, let's be funny here for just a second. I am in a really bad um, profession uh, for um, choosing to live in this disconnect. Like, it's really hard. It, 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 it's back to it, every Sunday. Like, I get done with one Sunday, and guess what's coming already? The next Sunday, and I'm, oh, Lord Jesus, there's a little bit of fear of God in me of going, Lord, would you help me continue in my own path of internal and external congruence um, and integration and allow me to get up and preach again full of the Spirit in tune with your purpose, will, and way for this church at this time and then the larger church at this time. It's real. So if I continue into um, this lack of out-of-tuneness, let's say, um, unknowingly or perhaps knowingly, but I can begin to move into kind of empty religious performance. I'm becoming incongruent. Um, I heard one guy use the word phony, and I liked it. I'm, I'm becoming phony. And if you're not careful, you can judge everyone else as being phony, and all of a sudden you're becoming judgmental, and you're becoming critical. So now you're judgmental, and you're critical, and there's a lack of congruence between your internal and outer world. So you've got a little bit of hypocrisy going on, and all of a sudden you are an old Christian grump. You hear me? You're judging everybody else. You're being critical of everybody else. And what, what is probably true is there's some alignment that God or the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you so that you are integrated or you are congruent. Now, I, I want to skip ahead just a second because there's some really good news for us. How are you filled with the Spirit? How do we walk full of the Spirit? How do we live full of the Spirit? How do we walk in the Spirit? 
it's this beautiful word, and, and I, the church historically has like um, probably overused it at points and even been hurtful with it at points. But I love the word because it's, it's repentance. It's repentance. So the moment you repent of your lack of congruence, your lack of being full of the Spirit, your lack of integration externally, internally and externally, what happens? You're realigned. Now, are you going to be perfect from henceforth? No, but you're realigned, and you can begin to walk out um, in that posture of humility, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, being gracious, being kind, and and living in this um, integration or congruence, and therefore full of the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? All right, so... um, let me, in fact, if I even, um, let's, let's ask the question like this. How do you break that cycle of duplicity and restore congruence to the human heart? Let's put repentance in a more practical uh, sentence, maybe. You acknowledge what's happening. You confess to the Lord Jesus. Um, you perhaps go and share with a trusted friend or two and confess to them. You appropriate his forgiveness, and then you get up and begin again. That's it. That's how you walk out um, realigning your internal and external world, reappropriating the fullness of the Spirit in your life um, day by day, moment by moment. Uh, It is, I think, amazing to me um, that Jesus would look at a woman caught in some variation of prostitution and be kind, gracious, loving, say, woman, your sins are forgiven, go and leave your life a sin. And then he's going to look at a bunch of religious people who look good, sound good, say the right things, do the right things, everything is perfect. And he's going to go, you um, whitewashed sepulchers, you whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Like that's it's not the sin that Jesus is, that the Holy Spirit is repelled by. It is a refusal to acknowledge the sin and come into alignment and congruence that the Holy Spirit's repelled by. You follow me? So the moment, uh, like, um, I don't, I love, rep- I love the word repentance, and I wish I could like erase your past history of repentance and go, okay, because repentance is the keys to the kingdom. It's the key to restoring your peace with God. It's the key to actively being infilled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit moment by moment, day by day. And the moment you recognize you're out of congruence or you're out of integration, you're not full of the Spirit, it is so simple. You can be at the coffee machine or driving in your your car or raking your leaves or at your job or talking with somebody or in a fight with your spouse. And I promise you, if you will just pause, and whether you actually get on your knees or not, I don't know that it matters, but get on your knees and go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? I recognize this ugliness is rising up inside of me. Would you reestablish and realign congruence and refill me with your spirit? And what's he going to do? Oh, he's going to do it. Now, is everything going to be fixed immediately? Probably not but you can begin to walk it out day by day, moment by moment, step by step. So question, uh, can Michael or can you become a modern day Pharisee? We should all recognize that. None of us are immune. Doesn't matter if you sit on the stage or lead worship or preach, doesn't matter. Uh, let's ask another question. How fast can that hardness of heart happen, the incongruence externally and internally? How quickly can that happen? I agree with Denise. Pretty quickly. 
pretty quick. That's what she said. I agree. How fast um, does repentance, let's separate repentance and restoration. How fast does repentance happen because of the power of the cross? Immediately. Now, there's a little bit of a dichotomy in the restoration journey. And, and I want to, um, I'm glad you said something, Denise, because I'm going to say something about Paul, your husband. Um, Paul, uh, who, Paul and Denise lead our Celebrate Recovery program. Um, and they're on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock, at our Saltbox offices over off of Burnt Mill. And Paul is actually, um, I'm so proud of you, <laughs> he's getting ready to get his 10-year uh, token or chip this Tuesday. And if you, if you actually want to go and hear his testimony, he's going to be sharing it at 7 p.m. Tuesday. Go and hear it. And they're having celebration cake. He called it birthday cake, and it totally confused me. I mean, but it's celebration cake. This is like 10-year token chip freedom in Christ celebration. So if you want to have a piece of that birthday cake or celebration cake, and if you want to hear his testimony, go and, and enjoy that, be a part of that, and just encourage one of the brothers um, and sisters in our church family. But, but here's why I say that. The process of finding freedom is instantaneous. But there is a walking out of your freedom that requires um, some time and some patience. In other words, if your marriage has gotten into a really bad place and it's taken you five or six or eight years to get there, it's going to take some time to walk out the healing journey. Make sense? If, you, if it's taken you years to get in a bad spot in a relationship with a sibling or a parent or a child or a roommate or whatever it is, it's going to take you some time to experience the full redemption and restoration of Christ Jesus in that place, um, and it will take you some time to walk it out. So you can't expect this is like a, you know, beep. Now, are you forgiven immediately? Yes. Are we realigned? Are we reintegrated the moment we repent? Yes. Are, are we congruent even as people? Yes. But we have to give the ones we love time, perhaps, to forgive us or to journey with us. Or sometimes we just have to let the Lord deal with them and we just have to keep dealing with us. Yeah? Follow me? Okay. So uh, let's, um, let's open this up and, and let's talk a minute about the anatomy um, of temptation. And to do that, I want to flip back to uh, Genesis 3. I'm going to read a couple verses out of Genesis 3. We're going to start, I think, in verse 6. But I actually want you to begin to see Pentecost, the infilling power of the Holy Spirit or of the Spirit of Jesus, as a culmination or a fulfillment of what began in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Okay? All right, so here we go. I'm in Genesis 3, very beginning of your Bible. And I am, uh, the whole of three is really good. I'm not going to take the time to read it. Um, we're going to start, um, let, me, let me just kind of walk through it. Um, the serpent, uh, which is Satan or Lucifer biblically, but the serpent was more crafty, that's verse one, than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And so the serpent um, shows up and he begins to sort of whisper to Eve, Adam and Eve, or the first man and the first woman. And he begins to, uh, this is I think one of the most subtle things about the enemy, is he does not outright uh, deny the goodness of God, but he begins to sow these seeds of like doubt and un 
unbelief um, in the goodness of God. So he begins to sow these seeds in Eve about the character of who God is in such a way that as she's in her journey and something happens or doesn't happen, um, all of a sudden those seeds of doubt begin to grow, those seeds of questioning the goodness of God begin to grow, and if you're not careful, your own heart can become hardened. And remember, that integration, that disintegration all of a sudden begins to happen. You follow me? Okay, so um, the the serpent um, twists the words of God ever so slightly. He does this today, by the way, which is why I'm I'm taking the time to talk about it. Um, And all the enemy needed was for Eve to doubt God's word and to doubt God's goodness. That's all he needed. And all of humanity began to unravel. So the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, we may eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And the enemy says, verse 4, the serpent, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Let's keep going. Um, Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the woman, or then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Now, I want you to get something here. Um, The garden uh, of Eden represents the highest um, intimate connection um, and oneness with the Lord Jesus. Okay? Yahweh God at this point. But Jesus was there at the beginning, as was the Holy Spirit. It just hadn't been revealed yet. So the garden represents the full intimate connection, abiding with him to the point where God can come and walk in the garden in the cool of the day, in the afternoon. And they, Adam and Eve, can walk with God in full community, full communion, full relationship, experiencing his presence, um, understanding his goodness. It's totally, everything is fully unbroken. Make sense? So <clears throat> what begins to happen, though, is this enemy comes in. He twists God's words a little bit. I think just like uh, he does to us today, God doesn't really want good things for me. God has left me or abandoned me because this happened in my life or this happened in my life. Because God let this happen, whatever it is, um, it points out that God's heart is evil. I can't trust him. I begin to get um, disintegrated or I begin to lack congruence. I harden my heart towards God. I withdraw from Christian community. And all of a sudden, this whole cycle of not walking in the fullness of what God has for you begins. You lose your purpose, you lose your direction, you lose your trajectory, which is what's happening right here with Adam and Eve. So uh, if we looked at the, uh, the anatomy of sin or this heart posture of like doubting and questioning the goodness of God and blaming God, I would say to you that the obedience of Adam and Eve gives way to rebellion. The openness of Adam and Eve gives way to shame. The freedom of Adam and Eve gives way to bondage. They become divided from God. They become divided from themselves and they become divided from each other to the degree you and I are not full of the Spirit of God and living um, integrated uh, in walking with Him. We are separated from Him, ourselves, and each other. 
Of course we're going to struggle with identity issues all day long, all day long, because your identity comes from your relationship with them as theirs did. So responsibility gives way to blame. They blame each other. I'm not really going to go through all that. Freedom gives way to guilt and shame. All of a sudden, they were free. They were naked and didn't even know it. Now they know they're naked. Shame has entered. Guilt has entered. We labor under a lot of that as, as Christians, even today. Um, and so they start sewing fig leaves together to cover um, their sin. So freedom, uh, life becomes toil and work, not resting and abiding in a relationship with Jesus, walking with God in the cool of the day. So let's keep going. Uh, I'm going to skip down um, because God comes and says, where are you? Uh, Verse 10, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, God, said to them, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And then Adam blames Eve. Go all the way down to verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Okay, so a little bit just about me, because it'll help you understand what I'm about to say. Um, I grew up um, in a um, just a wonderful family. Um, I've got this great uh, dad, um, and my dad would go hunting when I was a kid, okay? And I think we probably, probably 60% of the meat we ate in our house was either fish that was caught or, or deer that was shot, all right? And one of the things that I remember really vividly as a young, um, as a kid, is when he would kill a deer, he would skin the deer, um, and he would pull the skin off of the deer, and he'd butcher all the meat and package it and put it in the freezer and put it in the fridge, and we'd, we'd eat on it, okay? But one of the fascinating things was he would take that skin occasionally, and sometimes he would soak it in things that would make the hair fall off the skin, and then he would dry it, and then he'd put some, I don't know, different compounds or chemicals on it, and he would actually tan the skin and make leather. That's right. Are you wearing leather shoes? Or a leather belt? Or a leather purse? Same thing. That's how how it gets made. You might not like it. It might be gross, but that's how it works. Okay, so, uh, but occasionally he would tan this skin, and then he would take it, and he would occasionally cut it, and then he would sew it, and he could make things out of it. It's fascinating. So I I want you to think here for just a minute. The Lord God made garments of skin. Occasionally God does things instantaneously. Occasionally he shows up and miraculously, you know, he could have certainly shown up in the garden and gone, boom, garments of skin appear on Adam and on Eve, right? But I don't read this that way. And if you look at the Hebrew, I don't think it's written that way. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So from the very beginning, sin has now entered into this Eden, this perfect world. Relationship is now broken between God and men, God and women, God and humankind. Okay, And God steps in, and he clothes them. So I imagine... This is purely Michael. This is my imagination, my belief. But I imagine God actually um, killing an animal. And so for the first time in the history of earth, blood is shed. Foreshadowing the blood of who? 
Christ Jesus. Okay, and then he actually, um, I imagine, I don't know how long this took, I have no way of knowing, but I imagine God actually going through the process of tanning the skin and then cutting the skin and sewing it together and making garments of clothing lovingly, carefully, delicately fashioned for Eve and her body, for Adam and his body. And so he makes this um, skin. Now, it, it does this, the clothing that God has now um, tanned and sewn, is it internal or external? Okay, so remember, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God always comes on and clothes us externally, all right? And so in Pentecost, where we just read in Acts 2, it's the first time that God comes in and he actually clothes us internally. Okay, so let's keep going here. So the, what, in this moment, what's being illustrated here is the blessing of God has become um, a curse because of sin. This abiding, coexisting relationship with God is now broken. Um, life becomes toil, if you want to read before that in chapter 3. Um, fellowship with God has now become banishment from God. Life becomes death. And immediately, from the very beginning of time, God makes a way for people to enter back into relationship with him by clothing them. So the Old Testament is really the journey of him clothing his people. Um, and if we had time, I would actually take you through Exodus 12, make a note on Exodus 12 if you'd like to go and read that. But in Exodus 12, that's the Passover. So in the Passover, um, God shows up to Moses and Moses leads the people out of bondage in Egypt. We preached through Exodus a few, I don't know, maybe a year ago now. But God shows up and he actually tells Moses um, to kill a lamb, foreshadowing King Jesus, that's right, who is the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. So Moses tells the people, kill a lamb and take the blood and put a bunch of, put the blood on a hyssop branch and put it um, around the doorway to your house and then actually take the lamb and cook it um, and then eat it. So you get this uh, immediate Old Testament sort of symbolism that uh, go into your house, put the blood around you, right? And then cook the lamb in. So there's the symbolism that it, the day is coming when the lamb of God will actually be ingested into people or will, will come inside of them and make them new from the inside. So not just is he now clothing us with his presence or his grace from the outside, he's now going to come inside of us and make us new. So... <clears throat> um, if, you, if we continue then, God clothed Adam and Eve in the garden. He shed blood. Um, he put on his garments on them. He clothes his people, the Israelites, at Passover. Um, and then when we go back to Acts 2, what his, this gift, this promise that has been foretold through all of, of the Old Testament is that this God will actually come in and he will make you new inside, okay? So the lack of congruence, the lack of integration will all of a sudden become congruent, integrated. So you're being clothed now with Christ. So let me, let's look at some Pauline theology quickly. This is um, Romans 13. 14. You're in Acts, so flip over one book to the right. Romans 13, verse 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. Say that with me. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
Uh, Matt, will you give me my jacket? Okay, clothe, thank you. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. Okay, so Adam and Eve were first clothed in the garden by God. The Israelites are clothed at Passover um, by the blood of the Lamb, foreshadowing the blood of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we are clothed both internally and externally um, in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes in and fills us. And if we flipped all the way to the end, and I'm not going to do that, but if you want to flip all the way to the end, read Revelation 21 and 22, and you get this new Jerusalem, you get the new Eden, we get from the garden to the garden, and Acts 2 actually is this invitation back into the garden. So we are being invited. The whole idea of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and we are being invited into unbroken fellowship and communion with King Jesus. In other words, he can live inside of you, changing you, aligning you, making you integrated, congruent, full of the Spirit, so that as you journey, wherever you journey, wherever you go, that you are actually so full of him that you are sharing and bubbling up and this stream of living water uh, is coming up from inside of you and blessing those around you. So the idea then of the Christian life, in my opinion, is that we are increasingly going, Lord, how can we come into full alignment with you? How can we live in alignment with you? That's why I'm always saying things like surrender your life to Jesus. It's the areas where the Holy Spirit begins to put his hand on or his finger on or conviction on in our life that we're not fully aligned or integrated that will preclude or keep us from walking in the fullness of the power and presence of the Lord Jesus. So if you would look at me today and go, I don't know that I'm full of the power and presence of the Lord Jesus. I'd go, great. Have you asked? Lord, is there an area that you've put your finger on and convicted me that I haven't come into alignment and congruence with you? Ask. This is the God who speaks. This is the God that walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. So the invitation then is to begin to experience walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, I'm journeying in my life, and all of a sudden, um, the enemy shows up, and he reminds me of something that happened long ago, and I have shame that rises up inside of me. I have a choice. I'm going to put on shame, or I'm going to put on who? Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. I am convinced that the way we as people access the power and presence of King Jesus day by day and moment by moment is when the enemy comes to lie and to remind us of our shame, our guilt, our doubt, when he comes with bitterness, when envy rises up, when anxiety or depression or pride or judgmentalism or criticalness rises up, we face a choice and we're either going to clothe ourselves with our own Sin, shame, guilt, anger, bitterness, whatever you want to fill in the blank. Or we're going to clothe ourselves with Christ Jesus and we're going to become full of and empowered by his spirit. Follow me? It becomes this like, um, it, it's, a, it's a moment by moment um, like, like we are. And I think if, we're, if we were just like ruthlessly honest, we as people are chronically tempted to judge God for what he's done or not done. 
You follow me? I mean, I think the thing that I probably dislike about myself the most is I'm chronically tempted to judge God as evil. And me, Michael Mattis, a pastor that gets up and preaches the gospel and preaches Jesus, finds myself at this place again and again and again where I have to go, no, I'm going to clothe myself with the righteousness of Christ, be filled with the Spirit inside and outside. I'm not going to give way to my own doubt or my own questions or my own anxiety or my own fear or my own pride or my own greed. Instead, I'm going to find myself full of repentance at his feet in humility, realigning the internal person with the external person to establish fullness of spirit, congruence and integration inside and out. That's the gospel. And we have the absolute power made available because of King Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit to live as congruent people at peace with God. I would suggest to us today that any lack of peace that you have is a result of incongruence at some level with your heart and his. If you are walking with Jesus, there should be times at regular intervals. I have no idea what that regular interval is. It might be five minutes, it might be five hours, it might be five days, it might be five weeks. But there should be times at regular intervals where you recognize your own lack of congruence and integration and you go to repentance to restore it. Make sense? Now, guys, this is the, I mean, at some level, this is so simple. Um, It is so simple, but on another level, uh, th- this is absolutely transformational. This is the way you walk in the power of the Spirit. This is the way you experience the presence of Jesus. You and I have everything available to us to walk with God in the cool of the day. Right now. And I am essentially saying to you, if we want to live lives, Acts 2 verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If we want to live lives that are full of the Spirit, we can begin to access Him now. Moment by moment and day by day. I think I'm preaching better than y'all are responding. (laughs) Come on out here, Adam. We're going to end in a worship song, and here's what I, I would love. I would love for our prayer team to come up. If you want to, you want to be available for people. Um, there's something really powerful here, church, if you can get the little nugget that God wants to clothe you, make you new inside and out, clothe you with his person, fill you with his spirit, and that you can begin to live fully free in that spot. It's so good. It's so good. So let's do this. Yeah, we have a few of our prayer team. Barbara, you came up. I'm glad. Maybe our prayer team's coming up. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship the Lord together. If you'd like to come up here and just worship, you want to come up and just go, Lord Jesus, I recognize some incongruence in my heart. Great. What are you going to do? Come on. What's that word? Man, Kara's got it. Repentance. That's right. Repentance. This is good news, church. As we close in this song, let's celebrate and I would welcome you to do something different. Open your hands, close your eyes if you've never done that. Walk up front and worship up here. But let's take the risk of becoming a church that follows Jesus into life that is full of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your mouth that you confess and profess, and it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. As we close here this morning, is there anyone who go, I want to give my life to Jesus? I know that's risky. You go, oh my God, I'm not going to make you come forward. Any hands? I realize eyes are open. I realize that might be uncomfortable. But listen, Jesus says, acknowledge me before people and I'll acknowledge you before God. Anyone in here that would go, I need to give my life to Jesus today for the first time. If you're too embarrassed to put your hand up, then just come on up here afterwards and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. Lord Jesus, as we go from this place, I ask that you would allow us as a church, a small reflection of the larger body of Christ. But Lord, I ask that you would allow us as a church to take up our place full of the power and presence of you, Lord Jesus, clothed with the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would allow us as your people to be increasingly integrated, to be increasingly um, congruent inside and out. And Lord, would you give us grace for each other as we're incongruent, as we're unintegrated. Father, would you allow us to be a place and a family that is safe for people to be in the process and in the journey of practicing the presence of King Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.